About a month and a half ago now, I was surprised by my inattention to the natural world around me. My husband was out of town on business for a couple days, and I went about my usual routines, coming into the office here, running home midday to take the dog outside, going back, rinse and repeat. Fun fact, and some of you might resonate with this, when my spouse is out of town, I have a tendency to overwork. But I also get more chores done, and that is a great mystery. I don't exactly know why. Over those two days, the routine continued, and I paid no significant notice to the warming days, the blooming trees, the birds singing their choruses of courtship. If you've ever been to my home, you know that there's a weird little feature outside. The outside patio has an outdoor ceiling fan installed just below the room above. I've always found it to be an odd feature and haven't focused much on it. But during those two days, little did I know, the robins had their eyes on that fan. <laughs> in two days' time, they managed to carry enough small specks of mud in their beaks to successfully stop the fan from moving, <laughs> cementing it into place, building on top of it an elaborate nest. Mud, grass, sticks, leaves, even a couple random candy wrappers. It's funny to note the candy wrappers. Nature will often take our garbage and run with it, incorporating it into the cycles of living. Throughout this two-day extravaganza between the robins, I was clueless. I was clueless despite going out the back door and walking right under that fan several times a day with the dog. I was clueless while standing underneath the thing, waiting for the dog in the morning or the evening. My husband came home and immediately noticed. Did you see the birds built a nest? No. More often than not, clergy have a reputation of suffering from a severe case of head in the clouds. I am no exception. But in that simple moment of not noticing something that obvious... I also realize that my attention and focus is, despite being a minister that prides himself on preaching the here and the now, my focus can be ethereal, lofty, and inward. Over the next month, I decided to take notice. I took notice as one bright blue egg appeared in the nest, perfect in its shape and speckles, quite large to have come from the tiny mother robin. I took notice as another egg appeared, and another egg, and another, all four of them the same brilliant blue. And realistically, I took notice, as did my husband and dog, whenever we opened the back door and the mother robin squawked, <laughs> and the father came flying at our heads with his alarming call. How could you not take notice? One month of being torpedoed by both parents of having them follow us chirping their warnings and I'm certain their insults as we moved about the yard. There was also a bittersweetness in the noticing, though, of bearing witness to this simple cycle of birth. One morning, one of the eggs lay on the ground, pushed out of the nest by the mother, and then another disappeared. Somehow she knew they weren't viable, and then, suddenly, there they were two hungry mouths reaching upward to the father and mother every time they appeared, 
to scraggly, skinny baby robins. And they grew quickly, so very quickly. One warm May day, they looked out over the edge of the nest and took off, not knowing if they could, where they would end up, or what awaited them as fledglings. But off they went, and the nest was empty. The dive bombing and the squawking ended, and I realized it is something to take notice. From that experience, I've committed myself to being in nature more often, not just for my own well-being and health, but to practice what I preach. If I am to be a religious naturalist, someone who believes nature is enough, period, as a source of wisdom, of awe, of meaning, of wonder, of feelings that we typically refer to as religious, then wouldn't it make sense to reconnect with it? Wouldn't it make sense to get the head out of the clouds and take notice of the everyday glories around me? Two bright blue eggs, hatching and life abounding. The spider, who keeps repairing her web over and over in the corner of the porch, always knowing just which parts to mend. The big brown bat weaving and diving and turning with impossible acrobatics as he reveled in the swarm of June bugs, stopping on a dime mid-air to avoid flying into me as I watched him. And the swifts of Europe and Asia, corkscrewing onward and upward and gliding down to sleep, spending up to ten months in the air. It is not hard at all to look to the natural world and be completely astounded, struck speechless and filled with awe. But it's also easy to lose focus, to let your mind drift into some ethereal realm, to lose focus of this moment. Mary Oliver speaks to this discovery of wonder in the natural world in the poem we heard today. She wrote, I am scorched to realize once again how many small available things are in the world that aren't pieces of gold or power that nobody owns or could buy even for a hillside of money. I am scorched to realize once again. Even this poet we Unitarian Universalists love and read often had to realize once again. And I love her use of the word scorched. It certainly doesn't sound like a pleasant experience, being scorched, but her point is just how searing any awakening can be and that it can happen time and time again. Now, for my own re-emerging practice of being scorched by awareness and connection to the natural world, I've noticed some of my own small available things. For instance, up until a month ago, I couldn't tell you what a robin sounded like, what the warning calls of a mother and father robin meant when they planned to fly at your head. <laughs> I certainly know them now. But I also couldn't tell you the difference between a blue jay and the starling fighting over the same worm. Both of them, to be honest, wouldn't make the cut for being particularly beautiful songbirds. Have you noticed the lofty flight of the swallows around us, the shape of their tail feathers, the quickly soaring through the skies? These things and so many more are but a fraction of what we can take in as observers of this world, and this type of noticing is important. The noticing of our environment, of our ecosystem, our home, and our place. 
They're not just important because many Unitarian Universalists like nature. They're important because they are linked to our health, and I would add, not just our individual health, but the health of our planet. Many of you have no doubt read Richard Louv's book, Last Child in the Woods, where he describes what he terms nature deficit disorder. This is not a medically sanctioned disorder, but what Louv was getting at in his book was the notion that we are spending less time outdoors, less time noticing, less time letting our kids eat the dirt of enjoying the natural world. His book certainly made several claims, including that not being in nature leads to poor grades, as well as some other controversial statements. The important thing with his 10 years of research that went into his book is that it began a conversation. Now, I don't believe for a second that this is a nationwide conversation, but there's been some uh, progress in general. And the goal is simple. How do we get back in touch with nature? Now, I do have one problem with Louvre's book, and it is a common criticism. He speaks of nature as something that we are outside of, something that we need to enter into, which is a very Western way of looking at humans and nature, that they are two separate things. The West is fraught with all sorts of dualisms, Mind and body, separate. Good and evil, separate. Us and them, separate. Heaven and hell, separate. Human and nature. Leave the West, and it's a very different story entirely. If you've ever heard of the Japanese practice of Shinrin-yoku, you know exactly where this is going. It's a practice that goes by another well-known name, forest bathing. One of many terms for a growing body of practices and mindfulness research that falls under the category of nature therapy. Codified in the 1980s, forest bathing has deep roots in Japanese Buddhism and Shinto practice. And the concept is quite simple. Go to a forest, move slowly, breathe, open your senses. That's it. I am not a scientist, so I cannot verify the beneficial claims of forest bathing or any nature therapy. But I can share a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, one of our Unitarian uh, luminaries. He writes, in the woods is perpetual youth. In the woods, we return to faith and reason. The link between nature and mindfulness practice is one that is increasingly being explored for a host of reasons. The journal Nature has published several papers from researchers documenting the health benefits of mindfulness practice, whatever it is, even if it's just a few minutes a day. Not just outward health benefits, such as an increase in kindness to others, creativity in our work and how we feel, but how it also alters our brain function. And this is where the science gets really cool. Brain imaging that shows how the parts of the brain are impacted by mindfulness practices. I won't get into the specifics. Some of you are psychologists, medical doctors, and researchers that will know more about this than I will ever know. Yet what is emerging that is of interest here is how pairing mindfulness and nature and rediscovering our intrinsic place in it can have benefits beyond our individual health. And here's where the story of the European swift and a robin laying eggs in my backyard emerge once more. 
they are not just stories of lone wild birds in lofty flight. There are both stories of mindfulness and stories of justice. Taking notice of the natural world around us, reconnecting with our place in it, developing a deep appreciation for it, and simply learning how to be in the moment, to breathe and move throughout these warm Kentucky days, they lead to a renewed sense of commitment. In the psychological journal Personality and Individual Differences in April 2016, the issue explored the link between reconnecting with nature and how to foster pro-environmental behavior. Simply put, being in nature, knowing we are a part of it and developing feelings of love, wonder, and awe for the natural world, surprisingly enough, make us committed to ensuring it continues to thrive. Imagine that. It sounds so simple. Just get people to notice, breathe deeply, and be a part of nature. Imagine what we could solve. Climate change would be confronted, not to prevent it, that is no longer a possibility, but to lessen its devastating impact and foster a return to balance for our planet. Hunger and wastefulness, tackled. The exorbitant environmental impact of factory farming, gone. I'm sure we can think of our own imaginings for what the world could accomplish. But here's the problem. If regular people like those of us gathered here this morning can let ourselves become disconnected with nature, imagine just how deep that fractured relationship is with those who continue to pollute, to subjugate, demean, and destroy the natural world. If mindfulness, specifically mindfulness linked with the natural world, is to teach us anything, it is that we can achieve our own reconnection. But it is not enough to just be blissed out and wax poetic about a bird in flight. It's about inviting people to join you, knowing that there are some who will never change, but many will. And I have to be honest here. I don't see much hope for the looming climate crisis. It is coming, and it is here. And the best the world can accomplish now is to ease the impact. Now, ministers are always supposed to give hope, right? But with this one, any hope I have is that there will come a point when the climate deniers have no choice but to acknowledge what is happening, that humanity will eventually rally to the cause, and that we will all take notice. It is in that noticing, in that reconnection, where good things can still happen. This mindfulness can prepare us to adapt to rapid change, to take risks, to cope with the stress of the changes to come, and to foster compassion for that interconnected web that Unitarian Universalists speak about so often. Mindfulness is not just about the kindness and the creativity. It's about developing the tools to cope to endure, to be here right now, to appreciate this beautiful world and be willing to fight for sustainability. Have you taken notice lately? What have you taken notice of? The rose bush just, just outside our doors blooming in radiance or the vir- vultures circling overhead with their precise choreography? Or have you just taken notice of the air you're breathing right now? How will you turn that noticing into action for all of us and for the planet? 
Blessed be. Amen.